Hey there, welcome to this edition of Build Your Tribe. This is a good one. One thing I learned the hard way as an entrepreneur is the importance of building a business to scale, building a business that someday you could possibly sell, creating an exit strategy before you even start your business. Now that is what we should do in an ideal world, but many of us don't even think about that. We've, we find something we're passionate about, we just start doing it, and, and maybe we're so in love with the idea that we couldn't possibly imagine ever wanting to do something different or to even to sell our business. But the smart entrepreneur, the smart marketer should be thinking about how to build a business to scale and build a business to exit. Today you'll be hearing from Ezra Firestone and he's gonna share his journey of how he got into e-commerce business and how he built this business with a with an exit strategy in mind. What he had to put in place, the kind of people he had to hire, and how he had to position himself to sell. And Ezra knows what he's talking about. He is the CEO of Zipify. He's also the CEO of Boom by Cindy Joseph and the founder of Smart Marketer. Ezra has been recognized by Shopify and Entrepreneur Magazine as the leading e-commerce expert. And he's just got a really refreshing perspective on building brands. His companies have generated over 155 million in the past five years. And today he shares his personal and professional insights, not just about brand building, but people. In fact, Ezra is an outspoken proponent of people over profits. He leads a team of over 126 while he travels the world educating business owners just like us on how to build a brand with integrity and with purpose. Ezra is a man of integrity. I have to say that from personal experience. I'm here in New York City, and I had the opportunity to have lunch with him. Brett and I both did. And you know what I have to say was so refreshing about it? We didn't even talk about business. We just talked about life. This guy is so down to earth and so genuine and so caring and so generous with his knowledge. I run into people all the time that are like, oh, I know Ezra Firestone. He helped me with this. He gave me this knowledge. He gave me that connection. He's just one of those really cool quality people who is just down to earth and I think good things happen when good people do good things for other people and Ezra is just one of those dudes. Without further ado, Ezra Firestone. After getting to New York playing poker for a while, I realized this is a terrible strategy for making money and meeting women. It's fun, but you have to stay up all night and you are trading your direct time for money and you're hanging out with a bunch of degenerates who are eating butterfingers and pounding Red Bulls until 6 a.m. And it's like you're up all night and you sleep all day. And this, I got to figure out another hustle here. Like this is not going to get me my goals, you know? So I ended up finding my way into e-commerce, long story short. And e-commerce, that's something you started doing with what products. So I met this guy as a life coach. He was like, before coaching had really penetrated the mainstream of society, he was like doing it back in 04, 05. And he was like the biggest guy, you know, vision from mind Valley was his affiliate, like way back when, and he was wow. doing search engine optimization, which was the visibility source of the day for businesses. And totally. I was staying up all night with Vinny DeLimo and Joey Tutone and Johnny Cupcake and Sonny Franchisi. And it's like, I said, Hey, you got to teach me. You're making hundred grand a year to a couple hundred grand a year on your laptop. And I'm hanging out with a bunch of degenerates. Like you got to show me this SEO stuff. So he showed me SEO. I ended up taking over his business and eventually realized he sold information. He sold eBooks, big giant, you know, cassettes of, you know, DVDs on how to start a life coaching business. And it was great, Mm -hmm. but very few people who bought his content actually consumed it and did anything with it. And I thought, okay, 
I understand how we sell things, but like, I want to sell people something that they get because then I can feel good that every person I sell something to gets the thing I sell them. I had quit poker and taken a square job on the Lower East Side of Manhattan at this special effects makeup studio. This was like, it was literally the size of the room you're in now, smaller. It was tiny. It was on um, Houston and Allen uh, on the Lower East Side. And it was like this tiny little window that had like, was like four feet deep. And this woman was, there's a show on Bravo now called Face Off where they make the monsters for the movies. Yeah. She was selling prosthetics and all this kind of stuff. And I found an ad. I was like, I need a job like this. I got to like go straight. And I had met my now wife and she was like, dude, you can't be up all night with guys with guns. Like you got to figure this out. So I got this Uh job and I convinced her. She had some manager in there and I was like, this guy is doing a terrible job. He hired me as his assistant, but he was not marketing the place and nobody would ever come in. And he hired me so he could leave while the workday was happening. So I called this lady who lived in Denver and I was like, Hey, your manager's terrible. Like, I'm not trying to hate on anybody here, but like, if you actually want this business to work, let me be the manager and I will market this thing. I didn't know anything about marketing, but I was confident I could do a better job than this guy who was fully checked out. And so she fired him and made me the manager of this place. And I remember one Halloween, and this was next door to a yoga studio, which was kind of fun because that's where I ended up meeting my wife. But because <laughs> I, you know, back then there weren't a lot of dudes who were doing yoga. True. You know, it was sort of less popular. So yep, I yep. Had, had an in in that way. I was like, I can meet women who are interested in health and wellness and spirituality. <laughs> And I will be one of the only fish in the pond. And this is good. This right. is this odds, odds game here. Your odds are still better. Even today, your odds are still better as a dude in a yoga class. Probably, yes. right? Yeah. So I remember one, she used to sell wigs at her shop. And I remember one time someone ordered 17 Elvis wigs. It was 155 bucks. And I thought to myself, if I could sell 17 Elvis wigs for 155 bucks, I will have made it. Cause that's like what I make in a whole week or something. And I just remember having that flash. I'm like, I'm going to figure out where she gets these wigs. I discovered she was getting them from these dudes in Midtown. They had like the lock. They were the people who supplied like Broadway shows and all the Rickies, which are these Halloween shops that pop up in New York city. And there was these two Jewish dudes who had the lock on the wig business. Cause it, you know, in, in certain, you know, Hasidic Judaism, stuff like that, you, the women shave their head and they wear these like human hair wigs. Well, they also mm-hmm. sold all the fantasy fun wigs. And I went in there and you had Elliot. He was sitting behind the desk. He was this really big guy, just eating little mini apple pies, just banging his whole bag of apple pies, just constantly eating these little apple pies while you talked to him. And you had this dude in the back who was like running the money, this guy Moodle, who was not as nice. <laughs> I went in there and I was like, hey, I want to sell your wigs on the internet. And they were like, it's going to cost you $3,000 to build a website. And I was like, oh, whatever, dude, just give me the CD that has the wigs on it. And so I ended up convincing them. I knew if, you know, I come from a, my family is as Jewish as you can get. So I had like, you know, I had some Yiddish. I threw down some words like geschäft, which means business. Like I had the little in for the, you know, I had the Judaism in, you know. So they, right, they, right. they gave me this CD, which had the wigs on it. And I built a Yahoo store, which was the e-commerce platform of the day in 07. And I yeah. SEO'd it. And I ended up over several years becoming America's number one mullet wig, Afro wig, Elvis wig retailer. That's so crazy. I had a deal with the dude in the back, this guy, Juan. God rest his soul. He was a beautiful human being. He was not getting paid well. So I discovered that if you talk to Juanito, you get a better deal on these wigs. So I had a little, I had some hustle going on with that whole thing. If I can stop right there, your moral compass at the time was, go ahead, finish that. Just that I was more willing to play the gray area, you know, which I was willing to do things I would never consider. I would never do today but I was willing to do mm-hmm. them to make it. And because that is what, it actually felt fair. It felt like they were mistreating this guy. And anyways, wow. it was a whole thing. I love this story because 
One thing that I'm often sharing on the Build Your Tribe podcast is how important it is not to just like focus on this belief that you have to find your God-given purpose and make that your first business venture. I think that's so much pressure. I think it's short-sighted. I think it leaves a lot of people afraid to pull the trigger because they feel like this purpose is the thing that they're going to be known for for the rest of their lives and it's going to go in their tombstone. I, probably much like you, had a million different business things going at once. And it wasn't until I said, okay, this one, I see an opportunity. There's like truly an opportunity. And I need to stop dividing my attention amongst all these things that are like, maybe I have more passion for them and maybe they feel more important. But this one has like, just there's a moment right now. There's an opportunity. And by focusing your attention on one thing and to quit dividing attention. When you focus your attention on one thing and you make it really successful, that doesn't have to be the thing that you're doing for the rest of your life, but it's often the thing that becomes your catalyst. Like you have to have real success in one area before you really should start branching off into these other areas. So would you categorize that business as the one that was the thing you focused on because there was an opportunity and it was a catalyst? Absolutely. And I agree with you. What you put your attention on grows and what you ignore diminishes. You put your attention on your business two hours a day, five days a week, it's going to grow. If you ignore your relationship, it's going to diminish. And so I think that consistency of attention is really the secret sauce in business is being willing to consistently put your attention in one place over time and come up against hurdles and come up against failure and come up against struggle and keep moving forward and and have that faith that it's going to work out in some way and to remember that and I see this a lot in our industry now and it's like I get this projected on me now because I have outlandish success you know that most people will never reach unfortunately and that's really cool and I'm grateful for that and I have traveled the the economic spectrum of having some of the lower means of anyone I knew to now having you know being one of the wealthiest person that people that I know and you know I, what I try to remind people is my viewpoint is that how big it gets and how much money you make is actually sort of besides the point. I feel like there's sort of three things, right? Number one, enjoy your life. And, you know, hey, you could die. You don't know how long you got. And my business partner suddenly passed away. It's heavy duty. And so enjoy your life means show up with a positive attitude. Take care of yourself, rest, eat well, take care of your mental body, your emotional body, your spiritual body, your energetic body, so that you can show up with enthusiasm and with presence and give whatever your production cycle is, even if that is a job, your full attention and make it a party, make it fun. Enjoying yourself doesn't mean you don't work hard, but it means you came ready to play and you gave it everything you had and you made the choice to enjoy where you're putting your attention because you are both the perceiver and the judger of your experience. You get to choose where in in this society, you get to choose where you put your attention So in a way you have agency in what you perceive, and then you get to judge your experience. You get to place a positive or negative value judgment on what you experience. So you can choose. It's why the Buddhists will make you cut the grass with scissors for six hours. They will show Mm -hmm. you, you can choose to enjoy your experience, even something that you Mm -hmm. would think was not enjoyable. Yeah. So number one, have fun. Number two, make good stuff, make shit that is actually good. That process never ends. You're never done making your product better, making your offer better, making your service better. You're listening to feedback. You're investing. You're reiterating. Like You're constantly making something that serves the world and your community. And then three, be profitable. And if you can pull that off, you made 50 grand, you made 100 grand, you made $10 million, doesn't matter. You've won the game we call business. And you have got the point 
of the game we call life. If you are making it a party and having fun and enjoying yourself and bringing presence and intention, making something good, and you've made a profit, like you're much better off than a lot of people I know who are shackled to these production cycles that are miserable, that right. maybe are super successful, but they're working 80 hours a week. And it's like, you're doing, you're doing better Dude. if you can pull that off. Dude, I am so with you on that. I, you know, and I love you. Number one was enjoy it for you. Like have fun because I do think, and I know I've been there before where I had the two and the three pieces of that equation, but I was missing the number one piece of that equation. And my belief was such that, oh, well, once you get to this certain level, you don't get to enjoy it. Like it was almost like a guilt thing. Like I felt like in yeah. order to be making this much money, it's supposed to be really hard all the time. And it's not true. And I think the one thing to remember for folks is if you can't have fun here and now, you won't get it there and then. If you can't have romance here and now, you won't get it there and then. If you cannot have what it is you are seeking here and now, it's not going to happen for you. So you got to figure out how in the current setup of your life, how you can invest these things. And it really does come from you and the choices that you make and how you view your world. I just have to say. Whoever's listening, wherever you're listening right now, just hit that little rewind 15 second button and re-listen to that because that's seriously profound. Yeah. I mean, it's like- Mic drop. Thanks. Yeah. Well, appreciate it. I don't know what I was, I can't remember where I was going with it now, but- Well, well, just, you know, so often we tell ourselves, when I fill in the blank, then I will be able to. Like when I make X amount of dollars, then things will be calmer and I'll be able to invest time in my relationship or finding the perfect person or into my health. And I love what you just said. It's just such a wake up call. Like if you don't have it here and now, you won't have it then and there. Yeah, it's true. It really is true. And and, and it seems like it's not the case, but it truly seems like if I just had this one other thing, then but that it never works out that way. Money is not going to buy you happiness. It could buy you some comfort, sure, but that's about it, you know? Yeah. Instagram is its own beast. It is so huge. It's like five platforms in one. How do we take a platform that changes almost every week and help people The answer is we need to create a membership site, and that's exactly what we did. We created a club a membership portal, a place for people like you who want to know just specifically about Instagram. Maybe you showed up on the platform a little after everybody else did and you feel so behind the eight ball. Or maybe you love Instagram, it's your jam, but you just don't have the time to read the case studies and to constantly be figuring out how the algorithm is changing. Like you literally need someone to do all of that research for you. You need a place where you can log in, you can type your query and a tutorial that has been filmed within the last couple of weeks pops up that teaches you exactly how to do it. Brock and I will be going live inside the Insta Club Hub. This is a membership site that is going to blow your mind if you're trying to reach more people, the right kind of people, like real, live, targeted followers, the kind of people who want to do business with you. And you want to do that on Instagram. You want to take advantage of the Instagram algorithm. Insta Club Hub is for you and you're going to be blown away. To learn more, go to instaclubhub.com. That's instaclubhub, H-U-B.com. And of course, there's a clickable link in our show notes uh, to make it really simple for you. So you build this business. It's incredibly profitable. I assume you're having fun doing it. And did you still keep your same job too at managing the 
special effects. I've been very clear from the beginning that what I am doing is I'm having the best relationship the world has ever known. That's what I'm doing with my life. I am having the most loving, connected, intimate, fun, sexy, romantic love affair that the world has ever seen. And my production cycles are a part of that. And they're in support Mm -hmm. of that. But that's what I'm doing Mm -hmm. with my life. And so from the very beginning, the reason I wanted to not work a full-time job was because I want to spend more time with Carrie. So I was like, well, if I work Mm -hmm. from home and I have agency in what I do, I can spend more time with her. And maybe I can make enough generate enough resources that I can take care of my parents and the folks who raised me. I got 60 hippies to support, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe I can, you know, <laughs> go have some of these fun adventures that require money or, you know, fulfill her desires that require money if I can be successful in the area of production. But, but it was always just about, I want to spend more time with her and it doesn't matter how big it gets because that's ultimately not the point of it. And Hey, it's gotten really big and that's been wild and crazy and fun and yay, but still that's the second. It's like production cycle is in support of this relationship. Mm, I've never heard it described that way before. I've never heard that. I mean, I love that the production cycle, your work cycle, whatever you want to call it, is in alignment with what it is ultimately that makes you happy. And that is your relationship. Yeah. And I think that intimacy and connection with others is where the real juice of life is. What, you know, Bobbles are fun. I got a fancy ass espresso machine. I got a little home gym right here. You know, I got a fancy mic. Bobbles are super fun. And I'm all for buying things and consuming and all that. But ultimately, at the expense of my social life, my relationships, my partnership, uh, is not worth it. Is mm. has no meaning to me because I think that is for me, anyways, where I have found fulfillment in life comes from. And I also, you know, having a purpose and feeling like I'm contributing and all that is a part of it, right? It's like this whole puzzle that you want to have a whole bunch of things together. And I feel like, you know, people are sort of victimized by maybe five or six main things, which are one money, two time and age, three relationships and family, you know, four sex And there's a few others. It's like, these are the main victimizations people have in their life. The areas in which they are not winning fall into one Uh, categories, you know? So you want to be paying attention to these different areas and putting attention on them and showing up to them deliberately and with intention and with a plan and all that. But for me, you know, if I'm going to isolate a few of those, money is not going to be at the top of that list. Well, it's interesting to hear about your friendship that developed with this woman who was 20, 30 years your senior at the time. And she kind of introduced you to, or made it possible for you to, get your start in New York City. When did you come back together to form what is known as Boom? Cindy was the greatest orator I'd ever met. She was inspiring and passionate and she could sell you on any damn thing. It did not matter what it was. She was just a natural born saleswoman and was super compelling. And I was like, okay, we have all these conversations about, you know, ageism and, you know, the experience of being a woman and you know, all this kind of stuff that stems from the place I grew up. And you used to be a makeup artist for 27 years. Now you're a supermodel. You kind of created the silver hair division at Ford Models in New York City. You were the first and you're in all the J. Jill and Chico's catalogs. Let's do a combination of those business models where we put out a blog and you talk about being an empowered woman over 50 and what that's like and what that means to you and our viewpoints on pro-age and stuff like that. And we also create a cosmetic line that supports those viewpoints that we can get third-party manufactured and we can have a business here and we will know what we will have a community that is following us over time. The best thing about the life coach business, who we can add value to and build relatedness with. 
And we can have products that we make that we stand behind and ship ourselves. The best thing about the dropshipping business was the physical products. So I kind of combined those two things. She was like, great, let's do it. And then, so it took us like a year and a half to get it off the ground, but we, we got it off the ground in 2010 and everyone's like, oh dude, you made, you know, 150 million in the last five years, you know, you're an overnight success and oh my God. And it's like, no, dude, I had this thing from 2010 to 2014 and I basically lost money every year. And then 2015 was the first year I made money. And then it's been really successful since then, but I was not immediately successful. Reason being back in the day, there was no Facebook ads. There was no contextual targeting. There was only search engine optimization and Google AdWords. And you know what nobody is searching for? Pro-age makeup. Nobody. I single-handedly have popularized the term pro-age in our society with $30 million of advertising. And now Allure is picking it up. And now you see it everywhere. It did not exist before some bum off a couch in Brooklyn reached every woman over 50 in America 40 times with ads with this concept. And so basically once Facebook ads came out and I could gather context on groups of people and run ads to them based on who they were and what they were interested in versus query-based ads, which are what existed when I started, then I could spread the message of boom effectively. Right. There's a level at which in business, the goal is wealth creation, right? Like there's a level at which you're doing it to make money. And you're also doing it for a number of other reasons, but ultimately it has to make money in order for you to feel good about it and in order for you to be able to keep doing it. And if the goal is wealth creation, I think I should hip the listeners that cash flow businesses do not generate wealth. You do not make money. You do not generate true wealth from a business that kicks off cash flow. The way that wealth is generated is through asset liquidation. And so you're either using the cash flow from your business to buy assets, maybe it's land, maybe it's real estate, maybe it's whatever, and let those assets appreciate and then sell them for more, or the business itself is the asset that you're growing to one day liquidate. And I've always had the framework from very early on that I was going to be buying and building businesses that I could one day sell because I knew that in order to get to the wealth creation goals that I'd set, I was going to need to do that. And so I don't know how I got on this subject, but the goal was always to sell boom. Mm -hmm. And the goal for all my other companies, aside from smart marketer, because I do believe in having cash flow. I think cash flow is really important. And it's nice to have a business that will just pay your bills and give you money every month so that it takes the pressure off, off your other hustles. And Smart Marketer was always that one for me, the one that I could never sell. Because Why, why would Smart Marketer not be a, an asset that you could eventually liquidate? Uh, because it's built on my persona mm-hmm. and it was built on Ezra Firestone and come buy my courses and join my coaching and be in my mastermind and come to my events. And nobody was ever going to buy that. Or if they were, I didn't want to work for somebody and sell my my likeness to someone. It just was not interesting. Yeah. I wanted to use that as a way to generate capital and generate deal flow and build relationship. Now, I eventually figured out a way to scale that business without me, which was bring in other influencers and step back. So I brought in Molly Pittman and John Grimshaw and Brett Curry and Ari Baga. And so now I have other people who are the teachers and representatives and faces and influencers of Smart Marketer. And I'm just the founder guy yeah. who shows up from time to time and says some shit. So that's like a much better model for me because now I don't have to do a weekly podcast or a blog. I can just you know step in and do the occasional thing that they need me to do, but no longer be the person kind of at the helm of it because it got to a point where I hadn't updated a course in like two years because I couldn't both be doing the podcasts and marketing and speaking at the events and creating the courses and I just couldn't do it all. When we're talking about asset liquidation, when do you know timing? When do you know, like, I should hold on a little bit longer so that, you know, I've got a greater sell opportunity? 
or is it based on profitability or, or is it sometimes based on like, okay, I, I'm over this or I don't have the skills to scale this and yeah. I need to bring on somebody else who can? I think all of the above. So, you know, I am looking for exit events that are in the millions or tens of millions of dollars. And so that affects the timing of, first of all, I got to get the asset to be valuable enough to where it's worth that, you know, and assets, business assets are valued on a multiple of their yearly profit. So how much money they Mm -hmm. make profit each year, you get some, you know, a standard e-commerce business makes a million bucks a year in profit. It's going to sell for three to four to $5 million, three to four to Mm -hmm. five times that profit. And there's things that make it more profitable, how much repeat business it has, you know, whether that money comes from. 100% 100% Amazon, which is less valuable because Amazon's more volatile, or Shopify, or is there a mix between the two of them? You know, how long have you been successful? How much stability is there there? But if you're checked out and over it and somebody will buy it, hey, a big pile of cash is better than a production cycle that is making you miserable if you can't come up with some way of changing your mind or reinventing yourself so that you can show up to the thing and be grateful for the success that you're having with it. Gratitude's powerful. So if you're checked out and someone will buy it, probably a good time to sell. If you feel you've gotten it to where it can go and you and you have blind spots and you need help in scaling it, join a mastermind. You don't necessarily have to sell. Hire a coach or maybe bring on a partner who buys some minority, mm-hmm. take some chips off the table. But for me, it's generally about scale because mm-hmm. you know, boom, when it was at $3 million a year and 500 grand in profit was not going to generate the kind of wealth that I was looking for. Now at $35 million a year and $7 million in profit, okay, now we've got the kind of wealth I'm looking to generate from an exit event. What about a company like, and maybe you're not comfortable answering this, so feel free to take it off the table, but a company like Zipify, you say it's evaluated anywhere from 30 to 50 million. And I assume that's a company you probably built to sell. Yeah, for sure. Built to liquidate at some point. So uh, what are you waiting for? Now. Well, so Zipify, so one of the other things that is very important when you're selling an asset is a clean financial history. So clear, click, quick books, its own LLC, its own bank account, its own soft, you know, very, very, very clear and visible. No commingling. Yes. And so Zipify was built under Smart Marketer and in that same bank account. It's under that company structure. And so only six months ago, did we fully decouple it, get it its own LLC. And so basically we need 12 months of clean financials before we can even go to market with it. Hey, we can show all the Smart Marketer stuff and how we have it separate in QuickBooks and all that, but it's still messy. So if we have 12 months of clean data and then five years of commingled data, that's good enough. And you know we're at the point with Zipify where bringing on a partner makes sense because to take a software company from 7 million or whatever it will do this year to 30 million, people who've done that before, which we have not done in software, there's a set of skills that that requires that yep. we need help with. And so it, it yep. makes sense to bring on a partner, not just because it's at the right size from a financial exit to make sense, but I don't want yeah. to sell the whole thing. I want to sell 60 to 70% of it and roll 30 to 40% and keep doing it for another couple of years with someone who can help scale it to that size. And then they will sell it. And at that point I can monetize the rest of my equity. When it comes to the sale of a business, and I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on this show who sold their businesses and had a variety of different experiences. There are those sales that look more like what you've just given yourself as a job where, you know, the company that 
buys or, or the group of investors that buy come in and they're they're really expecting you to continue for you know five years or however long and they're kind of bankrolling the funding of it but you're now don't have the luxury of saying well I own the business so if I want to take this month off or if I want to kick back for a while I can because you in essence you're answering to your investors and then there are those kinds of businesses where the company that buys you is they're really looking to take over that asset completely. And and they really want you to go away as quickly as possible, whether that's understood up front or not. That's ultimately where they're going with, because maybe they've got another brand that they want to roll this into. Any thoughts or advice when trying to decide what type of deal is best for you, your situation, and your personality? Yeah, there's a lot more financial buyers who are the kind that want to buy 80% of the company and keep the management team in place. Then there are strategic buyers who want to buy the thing and mm-hmm. get rid of the team. Generally, an investor wants to have you and your team stay, wants to de-risk you by, mon- by allowing you to monetize a bunch of your equity. So take away the financial stress. Because by the way, a company like Boom at $35 million and $6 million in profit, it's a lot of overhead. I got you know 2 to $3 million in inventory at any given time, $2 million in salary I need cash in the bank for, insurance. There's all- Basically, if Boom has two down years, I go bankrupt. So as you get bigger, because I don't have $50 million in the bank, you need more capital to play. And so it makes sense to bring on partners who, who have capital, who can you know, maybe make a $5 million bet on TV or into retail, or who can weather a storm and all that. So I think there's a lot more financial buyers than there are strategic buyers. And generally, the offers you will get will be someone wants to come in, they want to buy 51 to 75 or 80%, keep you in place, give you coaching, guidance, you know, strategic advice, connections, financing, support, but keep you running it, keep you, keep you your salary, keep you with some equity. So you're invested. And what you want to look for is somebody who wants to do that collaboratively rather than somebody who wants to carve a path and make you walk it. And so who you partner with is actually more important than how much money you get if you're not selling out altogether. So picking the right partner and setting expectations up front about what you will and won't do. I will not be flying to board meetings. I will not be working on Fridays, whatever your expectations are. I'm available 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Thursday. Otherwise, I am not. And you have to wait till the next business day. Whatever your you know shtick is, you have to set those expectations up front. And I think there are really, really, really good investment partners out there. I am one of them. People who want to sell businesses, I buy in. And I'm a great investment partner. I let you do your thing. But I will also provide guidance and feedback and truth and honesty and support. And so there's a lot of good folks who can partner with you and help you scale if you want that. But you do have to be very, very careful and selective of who you let in because you're letting them into your work life. And you're still an owner, but you no longer are the majority owner for the most part. Now, you can sell minorities. I don't want to have a boss either, you know? <laughs> yeah. So with the sale of Boom, which way did that go? We sold 70% in November of 2020. And we sold it for a very, very, very high eight-figure sum, which was wonderful. But we didn't sell it to the highest bidder. We sold it to who we thought was the best partner. And it's really worked out that way. It's been really beautiful. It's been the best business decision I've ever made. I mean, these cats wow. are, they really, you really understand like, you know, this is my first rodeo at a business that big. And there's some things we're great at, product, storytelling, marketing, direct response, e-commerce. And there's some things we're not the greatest at, financial forecasting and analysis, supply chain logistics, international television, radio, you know, we have blind spots, you know, corporate structure, et cetera. And so they've come in and they've provided a lot of guidance and support and coaching and, you know, 
consultants and money and resource and time. And they've really helped us. It's been amazing. And they're super fun to work with and they get our ethos and they have integrity and they're not breathing down our necks. And it's great. Really been fantastic. Well, I know you've got, it sounds like about four pretty major buckets that consume your time, I'm assuming. Assuming that Zipify, I'm assuming that's Boom still, and I'm assuming that's Smart Marketer to some extent. And obviously the big bucket is your relationship. Have I missed a bucket? I do a lot of other stuff too. You know, I, interestingly in work, like I, ha- I have work all as one thing. And that includes, you know, Boom, Zipify, Smart Marketer, and then other things that I'm doing, investments I have people I'm coaching and mentoring, whatever, Blue Ribbon, which is my mastermind, which is kind of a subset of Smart Marketer. But what's interesting about it is Boom actually is 70% of that energetic output. Zipify is probably 20 and Smart Marketer and the rest of it is probably 10. I have 130 employees. I've got great leadership teams. I really am not needed in the day-to-day operations. I'm needed for decision-making, inspiration, Mm -hmm. accountability, Mm vision roadmap, but I'm not actually needed to operate the company's day-to-day. I do no no day-to-day operations in any of these companies. I'm not responsible for a single thing happening, which is wonderful. Eventually you do want to work yourself out of a job if you're playing the game right, because then you can be up above it all seeing like, what's going on here? Let me drop into advertising for a week and figure that out and help with that. Or let me drop into social and content on Zipify for three days and go deep there. Or you know what? Blue Ribbon needs my attention for three days to go run an event, I'm going to show up over there. Or, you know, hey, they need me at Smart Marketer to teach a course. I'm going to show up over there or, you know, whatever. I I have freedom to kind of bounce around and go deep in certain areas. But boom is my biggest opportunity. And therefore, it's the place I spend most of the time. That's what I was going to ask. Because when when we look at those, you know, those areas where we can jump in, because it sounds like fun, I know because we've got, you know, five different brands that I divide my time amongst, there are moments where I spend more time on a brand because it's kind of fun and it gets me interested. But I'm always, and I'm wondering if this is true for you, that I have to reel myself in and go like, okay, but where's the best investment of my time? Yeah, You know, and so when I look at, okay, which of these produces the greatest amount of profit is the easiest, is the most fun, creates the most, my goal is peace. I always want every decision is made. Will this bring me peace? And so when I look at our, you know, profit and loss statements each month and I look at like, geez, man, that, that took a ton of meetings, a ton of time, a ton of stress. I had to be really involved. I worried about a lot. I spent a lot of time in it and it didn't make us any money. Like, what was I doing? Like, if I didn't look at those numbers, I would, I think, just go off of like where I felt needed. And sometimes where we feel needed isn't the best place to spend our time. So how do you divide that? Is it really just looking at return on investment of time? I have more of a felt sense than that, right? Because they're all, I need all of them and I like all of them. Now, boom is my best monetary opportunity. And so I I deliberately spend a full works week's energy in there. Like I really give that everything I can because I, I now have partners that I'm committed to. And so I feel committed on that level, but I also just want it to succeed. I care about it. So I, I prioritize boom. Then comes Zipify, again, second biggest opportunity, then comes everything else. And I do that prioritization because I feel that is right. And do I have more fun doing other stuff sometimes? Sure. But I have fun doing it all. Like I, I kind of like, I always try to remind myself where I was and how different this is from that. 
and just grateful for the opportunity to do whatever work is in front of me. And I don't have to leave home. I get to go make lunch in five minutes, you know? So I'm just like always, if I ever get like in a slog, I'm like, damn, this is hard or I'm tired or I don't want to do this. I'm like, no, you get to do this and you should be grateful for that and show up to it. And I prioritize Boom and Zipify because they are the biggest wealth generators. And there's a level at which generating as much wealth as I can is one of my goals in this. And so those are the two assets, which I both love both of them that are going to do that. And so I have to keep, and sometimes I'll find myself, I fell into a blue ribbon rabbit hole. Oh my, I got to, okay, hold on, reel out of there. You know? So it's like, it's one of those things that happens, but I remember, you know, have my, my plan ahead of time, which is boom, zipify the rest of the shit. And if I find that I'm not doing that, I reconfigure things. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, I mean, being so transparent, you know, recently our daughter is starting a, a cosmetic company and skincare. We just really wanted to do it herself. Like you figure out the networking, like struggle, like we all did, right? Like, and she's been doing it for months and just reaching out to, and finally getting to somebody who's actually a founder and she'll finally get this opportunity to talk to them. And they're just really like, Nothing that you wouldn't hear in like a NPR interview, right? And and uh, you agreed to do a call with her and it just blew her mind, blew our minds too, but just you were so generous with your knowledge and information. Everything she asked you, like, not only here's how, here's when, here's the person, here's the phone number. And it was just a really great experience for her to understand how important it is not to give up on networking, number one, like to keep racking your brain, like, who do we know? Who do we know? And then also the power of generosity, because that is the cornerstone of people who have abundance in their life is they're abundantly generous with what they've learned. And, and I know that's why you started Smart Marketer. It's like I, you started Smart Marketer because I learned all these things about how you, if you've got this great idea, that's great, but you got to learn how to market it. And I just want to, you know, honor you for being that type of person. And you are so legitimate in that way. And so thank you for doing so today with my audience. Yeah, thanks. That was a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed meeting your daughter. I thought it was cool that, you know, you guys are backing her and supporting her and set that up. And so yeah. I'm excited to continue to help out in any way I can. And, and I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the platform. I like getting in front of, when am I going to get in front of your audience? It's like that audience is not going to be following <laughs> me. You know, they, they will not have seen me. I so you're know. doing me a solid too by like That's letting awesome. me, you know, have the platform, which I am grateful for. So yeah, super fun. and you know. All right. Well, awesome. Thanks so much, Ezra. We'll talk to you soon. 